Hello, I'm Anastasia Kenyon, and welcome to the third episode of the Divine Method podcast. I just want to say a quick thank you to everyone who listened to my last two episodes. I've had listeners from India, from New Zealand, from Saudi Arabia, England. It's been actually really crazy, um, and I'm really grateful for everyone who tuned in today. England beat Germany, which has been a revelation for the UK. I think a lot of people are expecting a draw. But most importantly, I am going to introduce the wonderful Jessica Jackson, who is the head of investment at GC Angels. She's an absolute powerhouse. Jessica understands everything from seed all the way through to the troubles that we are having to gain venture capitalist investment for intersectional minorities and also the trials and tribulations of being a female in finance and her love for gaming and Lord of the Rings really means that she has my heart. This podcast is predominantly about seed investment and what that means I'm just going to quickly read to you a quick definition so seed money sometimes known as seed funding or seed capital is a form of securities offering in which an investor invests capital aka money into a startup company in exchange for an equity stake or convertible note stake in the company so the term seed means it's early stage early businesses aren't entirely sure how to raise so hopefully this will give you a little bit more information about that and if you know nothing about investment just sit back and listen to what it is to start a business and what it means to raise money because it's hard so yeah i really hope you enjoy the podcast please subscribe and let me know your thoughts divya your week looking what you're doing this weekend well, thankfully, winding down to a week in uh, sunny Anglesey. So I think it's just making sure that nothing is on fire before I leave, because there's no such thing as a quiet, <laughs> as a quiet week in my world. But you know, make sure there's no fires, yeah. Um, or uh, yeah, and then um, and then go and enjoy myself for, <laughs> for a week, and yeah. then c- come back to a raging inbox. Uh, with yeah, it's just the way. It's just the way of it. But I wouldn't have it any other way. Of course not. Of course not. I mean, I think that's it, isn't it? Like as much as like business leaders love holidays, you know, for a fact that there's like, you've always got to be on call and that is frustrating. Absolutely. But anyway, you've had a crazy busy year. You've obviously recently received a promotion to head of investment for GC Angels. You're a mentor on the Ignite program. You've also won the award for financial professional of the year at the MEMA awards. So You've got a lot going on at the moment and <laughs> progress your career. Can you just tell me a little bit more about GC and what they do and how they work? Yeah, to- absolutely. No problem. So, yeah, it, it has been a crazy year. I mean, the growth company um, uh, and GC Angels, which obviously I, I sit in and that's what the GC stands for. Uh, we're a specialist early stage investor. So at the moment, our funding is GMCA funding focus very specifically at those kind of pre-seed and seed stage businesses and that are sort of typically left behind or um, tend to just sort of fall to to angel investors to to invest in you know we saw a kind of gap there to professionalize and provide some structure and so we actually share risk with those angel investors and kind of put a bit of a professional you know a corporate finance arm around the early stage but obviously recognizing that 
you know, sledgehammer to crack a nut often kind of comes up as an analogy here where, you know, bigger funders try and do early stage and then it, it just kind of doesn't really fit. They're not specialists in that area. So we, we've built up a portfolio. We've got about 30 businesses now that, that cover, broadly speaking, digital, creative and tech. We've got a really strong immersive tech and ed tech presence. You know, we've got fintech marketplaces and SaaS. So there's a, there's a hell of a lot going over there. And, you know, it's been it's been a difficult year for those businesses, you know, just trying to push out that that runway as far as possible to mean the business is strong and they can raise. So, yeah, we sit on the boards, we support, we plug them into the the broader growth company ecosystem for kind of, you know, mentoring and the the, the global scale up programs and creative scale up programs. If a business isn't quite ready for us, we put them in touch with access to finance and make sure that they're getting that that really um early stage support in understanding what goes into a pitch deck, for example. So, you know, we we're very heavily involved and very plugged into that early stage ecosystem, really. And, you know, it's an incredibly enjoyable space, you know, high net worths who we talk to, you know, they tend to have property portfolio or share portfolio, and then they go, right, I've got X hundred grand or X million or whatever it is to to play in the early stage and that's where they find it's most exciting so you know we we often talk to some really experienced individuals and say right well what is it that lights your fire and and we'll (laughs) you know we'll we'll share some of those deals with you right because there's no point doing something if it isn't going to excite you and that's something I really believe in and I think that applies to investing as well. Off the back of that obviously with a seed round and these early stage businesses you're looking at companies who again haven't got experience so that mentorship that you offer is obviously going to give well a helping hand where a helping hand is needed um a lot of people kind of start a business and then they're like oh god we need money and yeah I think that that is it seems to be a prevalent in the startup world at the moment to say the least and obviously with the angels you're working with I think that a lot of people kind of they don't seem to understand the different levels of engagement an angel can have. So for example, obviously like you have some angels who are heavily involved and they want to be on the board. They want to have monthly um, meetings. They want to ensure mm-hmm. that they've kind of got their own stamp in the business and they'll generally take a higher percentage, etc. And then you've got the ones who literally just want to pop the cash in and have a catch up every like year or six months. So off the back of that, in terms of the angels that you work with, how do they hear about you? How do they put their trust in you? Because I'm really interested to understand that side of things. So how does an angel approach you? Do you approach angels? We we kind of had a large uh, base of investors from, um, you know, it was previously like a built up uh, network of contacts. It was a bit of a, a you know, a bit business clubby type vibe and in you know, all the things that, that may, may come with that, I think. And, yeah. and over time, um, you know, we, we've, there's still a lot of work to do in terms of diversifying that that pool of investors but actually you know we've made good inroads in 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 uh, you know women investors and and getting funds to come to the party as well and and sort of look at at deals and really what attracts investors to us or or why they kind of stay with us is that we've kind of pre-qualified that deal flow so they don't necessarily want to look at you know sit through a pitching event for example or, or sift through a pile of pitch decks that haven't been just reviewed for basic quality, you know, just starting there, right through to they're not covering the basics in terms of what they're looking to raise. You know, they've got ridiculously inflated valuations, for example. So the reason that they work with us is that we as investors ourselves kind of know, broadly speaking, what a good proposition looks like, or at least what 
a bad one is and we'll we'll weed those out so and we obviously have to cater for that broad spectrum uh, i've merged two words together sector <laughs> spectrum, spectrum i like uh, it spectrum I'm if you will uh, <laughs> the, the investors are interested in because uh you know we've got people who come to us who've they made their money in selling a health tech business or a pharmaceutical business they're more now interested in property tech because they've got a property portfolio but but they've still got that expertise there that actually you never know what might kind of strike a chord with with them in terms of oh you know I always wanted to do that with my business and we never did and this is an idea I believe in so you know there's a whole a whole range of people's passions and expertises and then hopefully a cross-section and mm-hmm. um, so I spoke to a female investor yesterday who is a, a lawyer by training but said my big passion Jess is is fitness wow I love fitness and nutrition and it went right okay so we've got this we've got that by the way female founded and we'll share those because I, I don't want to know it's not just about the backgrounds it's what's what's really going to get them motivated and you know to go back to what you were saying about how involved they are in the businesses it's certainly in my experience and as well with the the very young companies um it's about what you can add over and above just your money and investors want to feel that they're giving back to the businesses it not only does it help them feel like they're in somewhat of control of what's going on with the with it from an asset point of view if you're looking at it clinically but actually they do enjoy um getting involved and saying right you know what's going on what you're struggling with you know more often than not that's the case that engagement that investors tend to have is definitely important and I think that for me as someone who's started a few businesses now um (laughs) and gone through a lot to get investment I mean there've been times where I've with angels I haven't had the security from um, a company or a, a firm like GC who would essentially help kind of eliminate any pain points so a pain point for me was men being able to kind of sit down with me and almost call the shots even though it was my business and they'd sit down and they'd be like oh well this is your break-even point and they'd draw a smiley face and I was 23 at the time and I remember just thinking to myself like who are these dickheads do you know what I mean? <laughs> like that's all, that's all I could think when like they were I had men asking me if I had boyfriends if they could buy me flats cars xyz and as a female horrifying it's on it's horrific cut a long story short I walked into the to the pitch room and I uh, said I've, I said I've got another investment meeting in London in four hours I have to get onto this um, train because this was with two private angels in London yeah I've yeah. got on the train and um, please can I go first I sent all my decks across everything was across and then rather than just letting me go first it I was second and I'd I'd already asked and then I kind of did my had to do my pitch so quickly to get on the train and then I was told to get out he said oh go on then get out trot on making out like I'd said that because I had another investment meeting I was more important important. whereas in fact I was saying I'm I'm trying to fit everything in here and I'm interested in what you guys have to offer but it was things like that whereas obviously now things have definitely changed and uh, it was yeah. a white man. It was a white it's man. Just, it. Yeah, and you know we understand. You know, and there's a balance to be had as well. But like we understand that like entrepreneurs are spinning so many plates. So when we when we run pitching events or showcases, you know, it'll be, uh, you know, I've got something that I have to be off for, and it like, of course, why wouldn't you understand that? <laughs> I, you know, do you know what I mean? It'd be like, okay, and and you know, if you have to be off, it'd be just so you're aware you might be missing X or Y. And you make that clear to the entrepreneur, but ultimately it's their call, right? 
and 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 they then deal with the the consequences of whatever that decision is we can't make it for them but yeah you know we do that we do that a lot you know flexibility is key especially when fundraising right mm. and we know angels will have you know multiple networks that they're members of just to go back to that previous point and and it's because they like to have diverse deal flow but then equally you know as an investor you understand that you need more than one investor to make a deal work it's just 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 the, it's just how it works so well, yeah you've got to be prepared to collaborate yeah. and so on which is the you know very core to our kind of value set and the way that we work and that's what sets you apart that's why individuals want to work with you because you've got a knowledge and you've also got an understanding of what an entrepreneur is and I think that not ego, this isn't ego driven but I think if you want to start your own business and you want to really go for it and raise money and spend other people's money as well you've got to have some real balls and you've really got to have a commitment and to understand the way that I, I had a friend a few years ago and he had an investor and the investor he didn't have a, a network like GC Angels to work with him and he ended up signing away his whole company couldn't get another job um, while the investor was giving him a minimum salary that he couldn't even live and it was just all so wrong and luckily now entrepreneurs have got networks and individuals like you who really understand what they need so it's just so great mm-hmm. to hear it's just someone else who says like um is this normal like I'll have conversations with uh with entrepreneurs and they say like oh I've got everything sorted and I've had an offer or something. And I go, right, okay, but it's the paperwork. And then they're like, oh. And you kind of like press and you just say, look, I'm not, if you've got investment from elsewhere, then fantastic. I'm not needed and I can crack on with my day. But actually, is it, you know, is that is that actually the case? And we can we can look at it. And it doesn't matter if it's like, yeah, you have got investment actually, and well done, and off you go and we'll we'll see you at your next round we're more than happy to be like well we need you need someone to help you to cut through the bullshit yeah as well and really understand what's happening and and give people well go away and ask these questions oh yeah you don't have to tell me what the answers are but you need to ask these questions and you know in in that example um no no founder should give away you know more than than 30 percent of their business in a in a given round because they need to be incentivized long term this poor person evidently just did couldn't find a way of running his business and making it work for him exactly and I, th- I think that there's a lot obviously with starting your own business the uncertainty and the fear there's a lot of fear around not having any income and I think that a lot of entrepreneurs find it when they're offered investment and this has happened to me before as well when I've been warned and I've been told and I've been this is with not going to a firm like you I've been one like you need to make sure you check the paper but I'm so desperate to be able to to post or say like oh I've got investment like this was back like years ago obviously like I've unfortunately been burned but I've learned that you know sometimes you just have to you just have to say no and say no to investment could be hard it can be really hard and yeah it's a conversation that I have with founders and I just sort of feel like saying you know in a year or so so, when you look back on that you'll be like oh my god I'm so glad I never did that and and in that moment though you know you feel like well this whole thing has been about getting investment but ultimately if it isn't right for where you need to go if it's not a good fit with you it's not the right thing to do 
So, you know, yeah, it takes a lot of strength. It is really funny that you said before to raise investment or to say no or to do whatever, you've got to have balls. Isn't it like really funny how a lot of the language is st- that we use is still like very I know, male heavy, very male heavy. And you've got to have real grit to do it. And oh, it's grit. <laughs> just chuckled to myself when he said it because I was like yeah I'd probably say stuff like that but it's yeah. funny how that's just very normalized in our language isn't it and again it's I think like we've discussed in the past it's the finance industry is male heavy like that's how it is like you, you say you use male terms because being in the industry has been like that for so long and obviously like I've done a lot of research and reading into kind of understanding the finance industry and how it works and again it's male heavy wolf of wall street environment and in terms of like i've read articles of like ceos just dying at the table because of a cocaine overdose i've read women who are planning a maternity leave being shoved out and it's almost although it's getting better obviously like we all say it's getting better but we're nowhere near where we need to be on any plane whether it's race ethnicity whether it's misogyny however you want to go about it and I mean for you as an individual I'm really interested in understanding your experience in the industry where when you first started obviously young woman just thrown into the industry and then because you've built your own businesses within the industry you will have met so many people I want to know how it's changed for you and what else needs to to be done yeah absolutely and I mean what's interesting is like a lot of the tropes that people who work in finance or particularly kind of entrepreneurs who haven't worked in in finance you know a lot of the tropes are very sort of influenced by what we see in films and tv shows and a lot of those are very like you know my background hasn't been in the finance industry my background's in health tech businesses and I then sort of cut my teeth on M&A, mergers and acquisitions, and then went to work in a group of startups and built them, you know, in, in an operational structure capacity and then started doing angel investing. So everything I've kind of done in my career, I've been lucky to be able to kind of do do it for the first time, have the room to fail um, find out what I'm good at and then ended up in this role and I think when you sort of come into it and then you start to kind of unpick a lot of things or do some reading as you say and you're like oh my god like why is this so poor and then when you look at the outcomes for women as entrepreneurs you know one percent of of funding went to female solo female founded businesses nine percent to mixed gender and you know you look at the rose review and you look at how much more likely you are to get investment if you've got a warm referral through and then you look at women's networks typically not overlapping with 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 finance and then you think well how in the hell do they do it Um, and and you know sometimes they don't and that's that's the awful thing and I thought well this is really crap and I think we should be talking about it and we should be doing about it and we should be making it our business literally And what was wonderful for me, which was sit down, share my ideas with directors and say, like, surely, like, we should do something. And then it was, you're right, crack on, you've got everything you need to do it, you've got the support. And and that was kind of a revolutionary for me. And then, you know, the rest, as they say, is history. So we started doing... um, female founder focused activities so building networks because actually there's very few dedicated entrepreneur networks we started running events aimed at arming women in our portfolio with with support we've had a whatsapp group that's been really active through covid just having drinks over zoom um, and being like oh god you know i've had to deal with that this this week 
I've got someone who could help with that. So that peer network is so important. Mm. And as a founding member, we founded Fund Her North. Mm. 28 other funding organizations across the north which was about combining our investment power so our investment power is like 450 million plus it's pooling our, our resources our understanding and our networks and trying to sort of drive it on a on a regional front so we've supported way way over sort of 50 female entrepreneurs now through various kind of education events and and pitching events in particular that number is focused on and we're starting to see investment offers come through which is you know really fantastic and then you also think, well, you know, women as investors, they're, they're only, they only make up 13% of investors nationally. We know they're two or three times more likely to back other women. So it's really important that we try and develop the investor network as well. So we started to do some work there because it, it benefits that entire ecosystem. And on top of that, you know, we thought, well, we've got funding. We'll put our money where our mouth is. And we're very lucky, which a lot of VCs don't have the pipeline. They always say we don't have pipeline. So that's why our deals don't really showcase um, black founders or, or women founders. Or we've got we had a really strong pipeline just by the fact that I'm a woman working for a fund uh, who knew right you have representation in a team and you're gonna kind of get people talking to you in a way that perhaps they, they wouldn't in other ways and that's really allowed us to develop the pipeline 37 percent of our rounds have been female founded businesses it's it's fantastic and it's 20 20 percent for for black asian and, and other minority ethnic founders as well so and data's been really poor on that. So we, we've seen in the last year or two, finally, we've been calling for it for years. You know, the British Business Bank published a report. Palladium Group published a report as well. And we knew the statistics were going to be bad. It's something ridiculous, like 0.05 if you happen to be black and a woman. It's awful. And it comes down to, and this is why it's great that we've kind of got a policy level sort of involvement here. I've actually got a meeting on the Rose Review this afternoon. Um how can we how can we share best practice but also how can we actually just start to run things that that help to build that pipeline for the future and give those founders the education and the network and the support that they need to 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 begin to even articulate what they need from finance because we we know from that research that a lot of founders aren't even getting to the point where they consider finance as a route for growth. Mm. So if we've got, you know, if that's there, we need to overcome that first before we start to think about floats on the, on the stock market or, you know, <laughs> IPOs and all that kind of stuff. You know, we need to, we need to think about grassroots level. I think there's a lot to be said for that network of, of women. You, you mentioned obviously like fund her North having four, 450 mil now. Like I, I genuinely did not know that. I think that, again... There's a lot of information out there. It's it's really hard to cut through. And so, for example, you've just said then about, obviously, like speaking to the Rose Review. And from what I'm hearing here, it's having almost a a figure in, in a corporation like your own who is the head of diversity. Obviously, your role isn't head of diversity, but you are heading the business and you've got diversity in mind. And it's so refreshing to hear someone actually talk about numbers and not just about women, but also looking at it needs to be intersectional. It's very Absolutely. different being a black woman than being a white woman. It's, it's a whole other level. And I just think that if more funds were more open and had having more individuals like yourself who are willing to put 
the best foot forward for everyone, you you would be on to a to a more inclusive network for investment. And I myself being a woman, you go to finance events, it's all men. Like, and as well as that, like I'm not being funny or anything, but sometimes the women who are there, it seems to be almost a competition of who's like entrepreneur life is a competition anyway. Everyone's got a fucking ego and everyone wants mm-hmm. to, to raise the most money generate the most revenue and basically x y and z now that's something that we can't combat but it's just a, it's just a point that i have to make it does head in if i see another post from someone telling me that they've like they've raised a hundred mil but they've got, had made no revenue like fuck off like yeah. i think that it's more about creating kind of an understanding of what having a business like you said grassroots what what is having a business like like what are you actually doing and how do you make it grow putting it at university school making people understand what it is to launch a business it's- yeah I think you know the point you've made some really good points there and I think you know hiring a senior diversity position is is great you know it absolutely is but can you imagine you know just someone making it because it's like the done thing but actually that that person isn't empowered or actually there's just no culture in that organization because if you come in and you've got all these ideas and all of these and ultimately you've got people ingrained in in leadership positions that aren't incentivized let's say brought along with some of these ideas and understanding the benefits and actually why you should do this why it's the right thing to do you can't drive change and what's been wonderful is again I, I talked about from my own perspective having the support structure around me and having that commitment from a senior leadership point of view is so enabling because otherwise you'd be banging your head against a brick wall. And we also have to acknowledge as well, and this is something we've, we've been talking about at Flint North as well, is building echo chambers mm. because it's all well and good and say, right, we'll come together, we'll, we'll do this. But how many, why is it just our job? And, it, and it, it's a question I ask myself a lot. Why is it just women's job to fix things for women and fight all the time and battle uphill? And if we didn't do it, you know, not a lot would happen. So that's why we do it. But we constantly go in that loop of saying, why is it just our job? So any forum that I get in, so, you know, the big one being the corporate finance lunch, well, it must have been two years ago because we were in a room uh, physically. They asked me to speak. And, you know, in this room, you've got kind of all the big mid-market players who you know mergers acquisitions legal professional services you're talking like millions of pounds of deals that they tend to do it's way ahead of where we focus at kind of pre-seed but I just said look VCs you're doing one percent in into women or you're doing whatever into into black founders but we're doing this and and you need to to kind of wake up and plug into this pipeline because if you don't, you're going to get left behind. You need to pull your weight with diversity. And that's a room that was full of predominantly men, whether they like it or not, because how else will we drive change otherwise? We're all on the same page when it comes to we want to drive outcomes for women. But if we're all just sat there nodding along, what, what's the point in us talking then? Because we need to try and broaden the discussion and, and bring people along with us. Um, otherwise, we won't affect the change at the scale or the speed that you know, quite frankly, we, we need to. I think it, I think everyone's just really polite, aren't they? Like people are, oh, like you've done a fantastic job this year. You've increased by 0.002%. And then it's actually, you've done your bare minimum because you've had, you've had to get your tip. That comes from like the culture of a corporate. Corporate investment has always been money-led, return-led because that's just the nature of the beast. But mm-hmm. 
really, it needs to be seen as an ecosystem piece rather than an individual piece, because that's all that you seem to get from these venture capitalist funds. They're just they really are just interested in the cash, whereas it is about kind of understanding like, well, you're helping that ecosystem here. You're, you're working with the X amount of people. You're doing events. You, you're working with the entrepreneurs. Like that's that's the difference. That's what you guys are yeah. for. And that, as an entrepreneur and someone who has struggled in this world and has always been a bit outspoken with it, well, outspoken is bullshit. I just talk. and Yeah. Um, no, you're absolutely right. And, you know, some firms are better than others. And, you know, just saying, oh, you know, we invest at whatever, we write one million pound checks. So businesses have to be quite advanced. And just sitting there and saying, well, we don't get applications from women or we don't get a- applications from why then? Mm. And, and do something about it because actually, and, you know, bring it back to the financial returns if you must, but you could be missing out on the next unicorn. We've talked about the investment. We've talked about what you do. But now I want to know about what Jess does. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's such an interesting one. And, you know, when you read, like, I think it's Stylist magazine who often has, like, a day in the life of the... And then it's like, I wake up at five and I get a cold shower and I do that. And no, that's not me. Like, honestly, like, my, I'm a night owl. So I I hate mornings. And I think it's okay to say that. I hate them. Um, I'm a night owl, so I've always enjoyed kind of the the calmness of calmness of evenings. Huge believer in the bubble bath. Like biggest weakness is a bubble bath. Um, and what 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 I do to kind of tune out and relax, like yeah, yoga's brill. I probably should do it more. I'm a gamer. Oh my god, stop! I thought with the headset. Okay, tell me. Oh yeah, so th- this is just my work he- headset actually. Oh my but, god. Um, what? I know, right? I know. My work headset, I have a play headset. No, oh I love games. So I'm not um, not a, an online game. I, I like to just go off and be someone else. So I love RPGs. So RPG? Tell someone who play games. So role, role play games. So, so yeah. it's, it's basically story-driven stuff. So, um, I mean, my favorite games is like the Final Fantasy series, although it got crap after 10. We'll talk about that another time. I love Mass Effect, Bioshock. This year I've played Ghost of Tsushima, which is probably one of the best games I've ever played. Last of Us 2. I'm mega into my games, and I think it's because you can go off and be someone else for a bit and, and, and live their life and make decisions for them. And, yeah, I love it. I absolutely love it. And that I've always been into that. I love reading as well. The books are a huge escape for me. So I read like the classics. So one of my favorite books is Pride and Prejudice. Mm-hmm. So Memoirs of a Geisha is one of my favorite books. So yeah, I've got a really kind of um, a broad range of interests in when it comes to reading. But yeah, I reading, gaming, um, soaking in the bath. Oh, yes. Happy days. Gorgeous. <laughs> so the gaming that isn't something that you've like you just so for example like with meditation and yoga and all this kind of thing like this new age spirituality everyone's just kind of jumped on the bandwagon but have you been a gamer for a while is it something you've always done yeah always done that so I was like yeah playstation one console kid back in the day um, and it was just always something we did as a family whether it was kind of like you know the racing games and fighting games and gaming used to be a really social experience mm. and it's changed over time so uh, one of the things my friends and I talk about a lot is like local co-ops so i.e 
having someone in the room with you and playing on a split screen is a concept that started dying out with the birth of online gaming. So actually gaming is a proper social experience. It's not what it used to be. It used to be two player, didn't it? Like you used, used to, to play two player, yeah, like te- yeah. Tekken or Crash Team Race. And I think it's just more difficult because unless you've got friends, you've got the exact same interests, the exact same console, the exact same games as you. Mm. It's not as easy to to do that. But you know, by very nature, the games that I play um, are solo experiences, and that that works fine for me. It was something that was very family orientated, and then it was a comfort. It was an escape seeing more of yourself in in that world than necessarily you saw around you so it felt more like belonging than maybe you did in your in your actual life and I think this is gonna this is diving a bit deeper isn't it but I was like a little um a little reclusive kid so yeah that that was me I was just gonna say so I've got a bit of a confession massive Tomb Raider fan oh yes love Tomb Raider. <laughs> I literally lived as Lara Croft from being I think I'm I can see that I can see yeah. that yeah, <laughs> always channeling my inner Lara, and I played on that until I was female about. role models. Literally, she was In so games. cool, and I loved her. And she's like, she was just like a really cool role. And it yeah, just- and this world of games and 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 films and stuff had female role models in that that perhaps we didn't see in our in our wider reality. So there there you go. But yeah, for yeah, that all about that. That makes so much sense. And I got like Lord of the Rings game when I was like 16. Like I was still into gaming when I was 16. How long have we got on this podcast? Because Lord of the Rings is usually the marker of whether I'm going to get on with someone for like the rest of my life or not. (laughs) Right. We've got literally two minutes. Let's go. (laughs) Do you love Lord of the Rings? Is there a word that's more than that? It's... (laughs) Aragorn is the epitome of masculinity and is the hottest man in the world. That's all I need to say. I've got a fact that's going to blow your mind because I've not been able to stop thinking about it. Aragorn or Viggo Mortensen is the same age now as when Ian McKellen was when they first started filming Lord of the Rings. How depressing is that fact? No! Yeah. Good, right? We're good. Me and you were, <laughs> and you were good. Yeah, yeah. We need to just have a separate meeting to talk about Lord of the Rings, evidently. Yeah, I mean that's that's fine. <laughs> <laughs>